Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. Iz Connell is an activist, writer and social worker. She's best known for being that really tall girl at leather bear parties or the first woman to be elected to the committee of the Harbour City Bears. Iz grew up on the lands of the Wanarua, Kamilaroi and Awabakal peoples and now lives on sovereign Gadigal land. She performed this story at Giant Dwarf in Sydney in March 2020. Enjoy. Not many people know I have an irrational fear of flying. The feeling of G-forces pushing me back into my exit row seat as the plane roars down the runway is something which truly terrifies me and removes all sense of control. It ranks up there with huntsman spiders, being buried alive and trips to the dentist. When I first developed this fear, it didn't feel irrational at all. It wasn't even the first time I'd been on a plane by any stretch of the imagination. I'd developed aviophobia. Yes, it has a name. Whilst overseas. I'd flown to Hong Kong the day that MH370 disappeared and was mindlessly scrolling Facebook while inside a tiny an eccentrically decorated galaxy-themed hotel called Mingle by the Star (laughs) and saw post after post exclaiming how MH17 had been shot down over the Ukraine. I called my mother, dramatically freaking out on WhatsApp. Mum, I'm not going to be able to get home. I can't get on that plane. I'm going to be stuck in this tacky galaxy-themed hotel for the rest of my life. Do you reckon I could get home on a boat or a yacht? How much would that cost? I'm a white woman and an Australian citizen, not a refugee, so a maritime arrival would have actually been an option for me. (laughs) If it's your day, it's your day, I heard my mother laugh down the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Mum's wry, fatalist sense of humour is the basis for many of my own worldviews. She quite rightly told me to pull my head in, make sure that I get to the airport on time for my next flight and to enjoy the rest of my trip. Four flights later, I got home and spent a decent chunk of time on solid ground, mainly Awabakal, Gadigal and Bunjalung lands. I didn't fly anywhere for eight whole months. In June 2015, I flew to Nipaluna for a student conference even though my inner aviophobe would much rather have participated in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race than get on another economy class flight. The flight there was smooth and straightforward, even though this was a few years before I discovered the soothing qualities of Valium, Finergan and Benadryl. (laughs) The flight home, however, after rummaging haphazardly through my carry-on bag, pulling out my phone, wallet, books, snacks and water, enough to keep me thoroughly distracted for a flight barely longer than my own workday commute, I plonked myself down in seat 13A, stretched out to luxuriate in the extra inches that the exit row offered me and practised the deep breathing exercises my therapist had taught me. A fairly nondescript man then sit down in seat 13C, pulled out a book and continued to peruse it until the cabin crew announced that the aircraft doors were closing. No one had sat between us. Whilst I am an aviophobe, I'm not necessarily a claustrophobe, and I felt a widening, terrifying chasm between myself 
this man and everyone else on the now taxing aeroplane we were all seated on. It felt like the little round window to my left was going to slide open and suck me into the sky head first. I did the only thing that my inner lapsed Catholic knew how to do. I bowed my head and I began to pray. <laughs> I hadn't sat foot or hadn't stepped foot inside a church other than for funerals in the better part of a decade. In spite of this, I still knew most of the prayers that I was taught as a child, including the Catholic, Anglican and modern versions of the Lord's Prayer, the Hail Mary, the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> the Saint Francis of Assisi prayer, allegedly written by the saint who my mother chose for my middle name. And me, being the drama queen that I am, I was flinging these prayers all over the damn place. Eyes scrunched up tightly, hoping that I was only muttering or whispering, though clearly I was not. <laughs> Partway through, I opened my eyes. The man in 13C said, can I pray with you? <laughs> I'd never clapped eyes on this man before in my life, but for the next three minutes or so, as the plane took off, banking from side to side over Tigerhead Bay and heading towards the edge of the Tasman Sea, we prayed together. I can't remember what about exactly, but I do remember what we talked about next. Turned out that Old Maid is both a tradie and a preacher. That's Tasmanian ingenuity for you. <laughs> I discovered this approximately 60 seconds into the remainder of our 90-minute conversation, right before I judiciously elected not to pull out my bright pink copy of the Butt Book, an omnibus, an omnibus collection of magazines for and about faggots. <laughs> I did, however, talk honestly about myself and my life. I told him that I'd left my church some years previously when the leaders told me that I was going to hell and was as bad as the average pedophile which was ludicrous, A, considering what's been happening in the news over the last few years, and also because I'd barely had sex with anyone of any age at that point. He cautiously agreed with me, which was a good sign. I talked about how at my first Mardi Gras, I'd marched with the gay Christians, and together we shared our favourite Bible verses, mainly Psalms and the Gospels, Mine were all from the book of Revelation. I talked about my dog and my parents. He told me about his wife and kids. We both agreed that the scallop pies at Salamanca were delicious. I elected not to tell Paul about how as queers, we share communion, come together and drink wine and other spirits on late night dance floors filthier than any musty old church pew but with more honesty and realism than any confessional booth. But it was an honest conversation all the same. To my mind, even though I had Snowball's chance in hell of convincing this guy that I wasn't going there myself, I did the right thing. I shared, I listened, and I was present. At the end of the flight, to my amusement, Paul gave me his landline. I still have it in my phone. Four phones later. <laughs> he told me, 
that he'd never had a conversation with a homosexual before. (laughs) And that I'd been very gracious to speak so honestly with him. He asked me to call and visit him and his wife, Catherine, next time I was down south. (laughs) Bewilderingly, I realised that my aviophobia had been placated by the most unlikely of people, a self-confident, straight white man. (laughs) As I've said, I still have Paul's number in my phone. However, I looked him up on Twitter recently (laughs) and have elected not to contact him for now. (laughs) I guess, as my mother says, if it's your day, it's your day. July 4th, 2015, was my day for a completely incomprehensible encounter with the kind of privilege I've spent my entire life fighting against. My aviophobia is still extremely strong, but in a week's time, I'll be flying up to Bundjalung country for the third time this year. As I board the plane, I'll be reminding myself, great things never came from comfort zones. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates. Follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram, and please consider ordering a copy of the Queer Stories book, a collection of the tales that I edited with beautiful stories by incredible writers such as Nayuka Gori, Benjamin Law, Candy Bowers, Candy Royale, Simon Hunt, Liz Duck Chong and Rebecca Shaw.